I'm KFUO's Kip Allen, and I'm reporting for the 67th Convention of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in Tampa, Florida. You know, the Lutheran Church is everywhere, including Russia. And I have with me two of our people who are doing their proselytizing and their work in Russia, Mr. Matt Heisey and Mr. Jonathan Muley. And supposedly, we all know how to speak Russian. Да, это правда? Это правда, Поэтому мы можем разговаривать на русском языке, если ты хочешь. Я теперь, я боюсь, что я помню ничего. Ну, ты знаешь, все хорошо, и у тебя очень хороший русский акцент. So we probably ought to do this in English for the sake of our audience. Okay, we will do this in English, yes. Matt, I know you and I have talked a number of times. Russia is an intriguing country. Obviously, they, they suffered under the communist regime for many, many years, and the, the communists did whatever they could to eradicate religion. And yet, Russia has a strong history of religion, not just from the uh, not just from the Russian Orthodox Church, but a lot of Germans immigrated into Russia during the time of the Tsars and brought with them Lutheranism. That is true. Actually, I, I always tell people, 20 years after Martin Luther died, uh, Lutherans were already uh, being invited into Russia by Ivan the Terrible, as we know him in history. And Ivan wanted to invite craftsmen, those uh, skilled tradesmen, to help build his country. And many of them were of German background, Swedish background, and of course were, were Lutheran. And asked him, may we build our churches? Now, Ivan being Ivan the Terrible, at first agreed and said, fine. Uh, soon reneged on that promise and began to burn Lutheran churches. And, okay. and so it has ever been this up and down relationship, uh, periods of very positive uh, um, relationships with the government uh, during the time of Peter the Great, Catherine the Great, and then of course more difficult times under Nicholas I and so, so forth. But uh, the Lutheran church has been there for a long, long period of time, pretty much going back to 20 years after Luther's death. Now, Jonathan, you're based at St. Petersburg. Uh, not anymore. I'm now a parish pastor in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. But uh, oh, okay. for for nine years, uh, not I, a lot I, of Russians there. No, well, actually, in Spokane, uh, which is about 20 miles away, there's probably 30 or 40 thousand. So every once in a while, it's very interesting. I'll be in a public setting and uh, somebody speaking Russian, and then I'll say something to them, mm-hmm. and they'll know that I'm understanding, and they get very afraid because <laughs> because they had no idea that there was a Russian speaker nearby. Well, I was at a store not too long ago, and uh, my neighborhood is is, is quite mixed. And uh, there was an el- older lady who was speaking to her granddaughter, and they were speaking in Russian. Mm-hmm. And I gather she, I was looking at him a little bit, and she turned to me and goes, Turazachev, we you? Yeah, yeah, that's always a, that's always a fun little uh, surprise for them when, when they see somebody who's, well, and they hear the accent, they know that I'm not a native speaker, oh, yeah. but they suddenly see people that uh, speak, or hear people speaking their language. But you were in St. Petersburg for a while. Yes, uh, for nine years I was uh, in Russia and also serving in Central Asia and Georgia. So uh, Matt and I were co-workers in uh, uh, LCMS World Mission, then OIM, so that through that transition. Well, question now to both of you. How are the Russian people receiving Lutheranism now? You know, again, as we mentioned, you know, the communism, communists are gone. That, that horrible regime fell, and now the people are free to once again embrace religion. I've been hearing that many of them are, were eager to rediscover Christ. Well, one of the interesting things I can say now as executive director of Lutheran Heritage Foundation for the past five years, uh, we have uh, funneled our books throughout congregations in uh, 
the greater Russian era through all 11 time zones. And in particular, St. Anne's Lutheran in St. Petersburg is where one of our book distributors serves in the church. And so we have a lot of our books right in the front at the entrance of the church. Now this church dates back to the early 1800s. So uh, people are intrigued when they begin to read some of these books. And, and because many Russians, they're very deep theological thinkers. You know, they, they love Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky was a deep theological thinker. Uh, unfortunately, in the Russian Orthodox Church, they don't always get that. It's basically liturgy ritual. And they want to read the Bible. They want to know more. And Lutheranism can combine those elements of liturgical services, but also with an emphasis upon the sermon and emphasis upon studying the scriptures. And so Heritage will do a lot of these books that will explain what we as Lutherans believe. And many of them are intrigued. They know that it's not quite part of their ethnic heritage, but they, they want to know more about their Christian faith. And so just through this one church, um, our, uh, our distributor, Yevgeny Raskotov, has, has, God has blessed him to build a congregation of about 100 people who came into the church for other reasons, not to enter this church. They came into this, this shell of a church that had kind of been burned out yeah. by the former owner and uh, now being restored. And so, but the, they are very interested in a lot of the literature. So that's what we provide for them. One thing uh, I, I, I found out interesting, you know, I uh, was living in California for a number of years and my church in California, uh, our, our uh, Savior's community is called, a Savior's Community Church, uh, I had actually adopted a Russian church mm. and was supporting it helping to support it. So I think a lot of the uh, congregations are doing that, is that they will support uh, missions abroad. As I said, they did right. this one, I know they did the Russian church from my church. Right, right. And, you know, I, I was just thinking as Matt was talking, uh, the, uh, the way that God used the Russian Federation is very interesting. It sort of reminds me of the Joseph story, what you meant for bad, God meant for good, because uh, one of the blessings that uh, I had when I was working uh, internationally was being able to work with partners like Lutheran Heritage Foundation because uh, it wasn't just, it's not just Russia, Russia. It's also uh, Russian-speaking partners that we have that aren't native Russian speakers, but nonetheless, because of the Soviet Union, have yeah. that lingua franca. So, uh, like our, the partner church, the Green Lutheran Church, uh, has partnerships in Kyrgyzstan, in Kazakhstan, in Georgia, in, um, they're even working a little bit in Mongolia. They were supporting some of that work through uh, through their uh, Buryatia area, uh, also Latvia. And so, this lingua franca of Russian uh, is an avenue where uh, Russians and uh, Latvians or Kyrgyz and Kazakh, because Kyrgyz and Kazakh is a is a Turkic language, so it's mm -hmm. completely different, uh, but uh, they are able to, so I was just in uh, Central Asia this uh, last couple months ago. I know the it, old Soviet Union required yes, their nationalities yes. on the Eastern, right. Eastern Bloc to, right. to know Russian. So I was I was just in uh, Central Asia in May and uh, talking to the partner our uh, our daughter churches in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan who were saying that they're getting mi uh, mission support and theological education support from the Lutheran Church of Ingria all the way in St. Petersburg, about 5,000 miles away. They're able to do distance learning education over Skype, and because they all speak the same Russian uh -huh. language, uh, even though it, for many of the Kyrgyz and the Kazakhs it's a second language, uh, it's nonetheless the, the the ability to break down borders, and so. Uh, this terrible thing, which was the Soviet Union, uh, also had a, a, a secondary blessing by God that allows these uh, peoples to be able to uh, to uh, connect and to speak. That being said, you know one of the blessings that I had working with Lutheran Heritage Foundation is when we were in. Uh, 
Kyrgyzstan, we put together the first ever Lutheran resource in Kyrgyz, which is the native language, and it was the small catechism. And they had, they have these pictures of, of people clutching them like a like a mom clutches a baby. They're wow. holding them close to their chest because this was the first ever uh, resource in their native language. Could you imagine that? I mean, we live in a we live in a place where you go on Amazon and you can get 10,000, 20,000 books just on Lutheranism, not even on or even just LCMS Lutheran books. And and this was their first ever Lutheran resource. And uh, LHF has been a great partner in uh, Kazakhstan, starting the small catechism, and then mm-hmm. also the Augsburg Confession in Kazakh. Uh, we're doing stuff in Georgian. I, I, you can probably speak better to me, Matt, but I just remember the partnerships. That this is what really matters. And this is the, you know, I say this because we're celebrating 25 years of Lutheran Heritage Foundation here at the at the convention. And, and what, a, what a partnership to make the Word of God known in languages. I think perhaps a lot of people are unaware of the role that the Lutheran Heritage Foundation plays in foreign mission. As right. you pointed out, I mean, right. the, all the uh, all the literature, the, they get yes. the translators. I know there was a, a group just recently was trying to uh, uh, do some hymns in the native uh, language of, I believe, Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Papua New Guinea, yes. Yeah, Papua New Guinea. Tokpisan, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, um, as John mentioned, not, I mean, we've been blessed by God to go into now 86 countries and uh, working close to 110 languages around the world and uh, wherever we go we get these requests that that we really want to have more Christian resources in our native language and uh, I mean Luther would be proud of this this is this is the whole notion of, of why he's transcribing the catechism into the German language of the people so that they know, so that they understand, and so that families can also teach them mm-hmm. being the important thing. And, and uh, we've got with us our Peter Anabati, Bishop of uh, South Sudan, who has joined us today in uh, actually for this week here. And uh, Peter is going to be starting a PhD program at Fort Wayne in missiology. And Peter is, uh, you know, he has a church of over 100,000 members, wow. <laughs> the Evangelical Lutheran Church of South Sudan, Sudan, a church. Uh, in a country right now that is the youngest country in the world, South Sudan was formed literally in 2011, breaking away from the Islamic North, and various languages. And we are just doing book after book and gospel tracts that our founder, Robert Ron, wrote, Jesus Never Fails. We're just printing those in a couple of languages. Ross Johnson has done the work with the disaster, Mm -hmm. relief, trusting in the Lord booklet. We now have that in a couple of languages, Sudanese languages as well. It's amazing. And, and, you know, as Jonathan pointed out, uh, you know, God works even through evil agencies Indeed. for good. Indeed. I think that uh, one, of the, one of the blessings about being uh, in that part of the world is the steadfastness of so many uh, who endured so much. Um, I remember uh, in 2005, uh, my, I was a vicar at the time, and uh, we were taking—we were actually just talking about this, about the persecution of the Christians there, and uh, uh, we went to a, a dedication of a of a monument that was from Ezekiel, uh, talking about the Valley of the Dry Bones, and it it was actually—it's—it's it's in this forest called Levashova, and there's tens of thousands of people that were killed in the Soviets in the 30s, mm. and uh, of that, there's a there's a section for just the Lutheran martyrs, and. Um, uh, the the monument that was there it was like an October day and I forget it because blustery cold and I was just new to Russia and was underdressed I was just wearing a suit and I wasn't wearing a heavy jacket because I'm like it's October there's not gonna be anything wrong right but of course there was uh, and um, 
the bishop there asked, does anybody uh, uh, know uh, anybody who is in this grave? And there's only like 50 people gathered there. And we had 30 names that we read off. Oh, wow. And uh, it was grandparents and uncles and brothers for some. And uh, that testimony is not lost. Uh, one of the things that I think about a lot, because living in that part of the world, we see we saw the persecution. In fact, I was uh, uh, two years ago, I was in uh, Kyrgyzstan, and I was... Um, talking to a guy who had converted to Christianity from the southern part of Kyrgyzstan near the Uzbek border. And uh, I was talking to him. Uh, he was working with one of our partners. I can't really name much more because th- th- we can't get this over the air because this is the kind of world that they live in. I can't name names. I yeah, can't I understand. Right? Uh, but he, this guy was talking to me, and I said, so what, uh, you know, what, tell me about what's going on. And he said, well, you know, it's just a blessing being here because uh, the long beards, he called them, uh, aren't going to be after me. I said, what, tell me more. And we were speaking in Russian. He said, well, you know, in southern, southern uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan, they have uh, these more radicalized Muslims. Muslims, that if they found out I was Christian, they'd kill me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that testimony of those who endured and persecuted in that persecuted time and still stood uh, steadfast in the faith is a witness to be able to say, you know, uh, God is faithful to his people and he will be faithful to you. And something that we in the West know very, very little about. That's what I was thinking. That has to be inspiring to you. You know, we, we complain here in the States about, oh, golly, they want us to bake cakes or things like right. that. But to actually have your life threatened because you proclaim Jesus. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matt, you, you could probably talk more. He did his dissertation uh, on the church in the, in the 20s and 30s. But uh, some, of the st- some of the stories of people who endured, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's shocking how little we know in the West about it. And it's also very troubling uh, how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can tell a quick story. Well, Matt. actually, I... I Probably, I'm thinking of Edith Mutol right now because uh, I was hoping to visit her this fall, and she just passed away about a little less than a month ago in St. Petersburg, uh, two months shy of her 100th birthday. Uh. And Edith's uh, life just uh, went through all these different various aspects of Russian history, um, born in the time of the czars and uh, and, and dealing with, of course, uh, the communism and then, of course, freedom. And Edith... Uh, had spoken about how she remembered her father's ordination in the 20s and when being the daughter of a Lutheran pastor she was not allowed to go to school. Soviets would not allow children of Lutheran pastors or pastors to go to school and somehow there was a glitch in it and they made a mistake and Edith ended up, she and her sister Gretchen were there for about a month and while they're taking classes all of a sudden the teachers gather all the students gather the whole group and say, we have among us enemies of the people. Oh, naroda. And they pointed out Edith and her sister Gretchen, and they said, these are enemies of the people, and expelled them from the school. And she says, our classmates look like, they look like normal people. Mm. But this is the kind of thing that they went through. And so she was never confirmed until the age of 77. Wow. In the 1990s. And she said, tears coming down her face as she remembered she was in the church that her father was ordained in the 20s. And he was executed by Stalin, Emil Pfeiffer, in 1939, served as a pastor, had the chance to go to America. They were ready to go to America. She said, we were excited to go to America. And one day, Papa came home and said, we're not going. I said, why? Why? And he said, because God called us here to the people of the Volga, and we need to serve them. And he was taken away within the next year and was, you know, 
funneled through gulag camps and executed in 39. So Edith had this, this fascinating story. I always tell people that if you feel like you haven't accomplished enough in life, uh, Edith wrote her autobiography at the age of 96. <laughs> so I think we're all young, unless you're somebody over 96, and then, then you know, okay, you know, it's, it's a feeling. You, know, you, you can still consider yourself young. But you know, here's the story of one who had gone through all this, and she told me, she says, you know, I keep this cactus plant on my windowsill, and it lives even in, this, in the wintertime, and it is this ray of light and sun to me, and it is the light of Christ to show me that Christ is always with me, no matter what I go through, in almost 100 years, and heaven's celebrating now. I'm gonna miss that, uh, I'm gonna miss her coffee and cake this fall, but, uh, you know, that is one story in the life of many who, who suffered for their faith but were incredible witnesses to what God has done. What a wonderful, wonderfully inspiring and humbling story that is. Yes, it's, I think the humbling part is really, I mean, when we were sent over by the LCMS to be missionaries in this place where people had endured such, such devastating uh, effects of, of a, a tyrannical government, uh, you know, I think back to uh, the bishop of our partner church, Ari Kagapi, who uh, in his childhood, uh, they were gathered up in the St. Petersburg area and sent across to Siberia on the railroads. And his, um, it was his sister, right, Matt? That was His sister uh, died on the way out, and they literally just took her off of the train and uh, buried her on the side of the train tracks and kept on going. And uh, in the 70s, he was starting an illegal church in the, in the cemeteries of, uh, of St. Petersburg area because that's where the KGB wouldn't monitor him as closely. And uh, and this is the the partner church leader uh, of you know the Ingrian Lutheran Church. And I would always sit in his presence and say, "Who in the world am I uh, to to uh, be talking about the courage and faith mm-hmm. to this man?" And and it was one of those really humbling things, but also just a, a great opportunity because. That those stories we need to hear in the West of, of people who uh, stand up for Jesus, because uh, as we, w- we were talking a little bit about Kip, you know, our culture is changing, and to confess Christ in America is not nearly as easy as it was maybe two generations ago. Oh yeah, it's and, actually just in my lifetime. Right, and and we we all sense this as the church here. What are we going to do? And uh, I think that those witnesses, uh, those martyrs, right? Uh, that's because you know the word martyr means yeah. literally witness, right? Learn so some of them, some of them are living martyrs to the church in the West who have endured, uh, who are still living now, and who stood up and like like Edith and so many others uh, for us to be able to say, well, uh, if they can do that, uh, we can confess Christ winsomely and, and powerfully even in the midst of the challenges we face. Well, Jonathan and Man, I want to thank you so much for sharing these incredible stories and wonderful experiences that you have endured and have seen and have taken part of. Спасибо большое. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. До свидания. Да. До свидания.